The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, goal! <laughs> UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, as we head into the second week of the month of May, the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds seem to be floundering as we head into this week. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight, everyone, with the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, our weekly get-together to talk about what's happening between the Reds and the Cleveland Indians, and even though the Reds have had a decent week, the Indians, well, they just continue to go right down into the dumper. And alongside, as we as we always do each and every week, is our resident Reds expert and movie producer, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? <laughs> Hello, David. How are you? I'm fine. And i got to say, it's a lot easier at times like this to be a movie producer than try to uh, talk about the Reds in a positive <laughs> light. So <laughs> we'll get into that in a few minutes. Well, I guess we've got a couple of things to talk about uh, with the Indians and the Reds, but I guess the highlight of the week, if you want to call it a highlight, it's really a low light, is the fact that Homer Bailey is finally going to undergo Tommy John surgery, Mark. You know, I was thinking about that and, and Homer Bailey, his career, looking at the, some of the numbers, and of course everyone knows last year he signed a $100 million contract over the next seven years. Uh, pay him close to $20 million a year. And I'm hard-pressed. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's been some other horrific signings and uh, of huge contracts. But in recent memory, it's hard to remember one <clears throat> where a team is getting so little for so much. And in the case of injuries, it's certainly not the ball player's fault. Uh, and Homer Bailey keeps himself in shape. It's, it's just one of those things. But when you're a a team in the Reds situation financially, having $100 million, $20 million a year dedicated to a guy who's not going to pitch again this year and probably, realistically, won't be ready until the end of next year. Uh, the rehab on that surgery is at least a year, sometimes 18 months. So you're looking at a situation where the Reds may not be without, may be without Homer Bailey for 18 months and two full seasons. And normally, Mark, when you undergo Tommy John surgery, the thing about it is is that that year that you come back from Tommy John surgery, you're really not the pitcher that you were. It's normally the second year. So in, conceivably, the Reds could be without him not only for two years, but realistically, when you look at what type of caliber pitcher he is, they're going to be looking at three years. The question that has to be asked is, when is it, fair to say that his career is not going to be what everyone expected it to be. Right now, I don't think anybody, I don't care how big a Homer Bailey fan you are, it has to be a disappointment to this point. The two highlights, of course, he's pitched two no-hitters. He's never won 20 games. He's never had an ERA under three. He's never been that number one guy to go to. He's always been a three uh, at best. And it's 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 a very sad situation because the Reds simply don't have anybody to to bring in and and stop the bleeding. 
in, in terms of, of what he means to this uh, this franchise. So it, it's been a tough situation, and I, I don't see it getting any better soon. Well, the Reds, this is one of those strange nights, Mark, where the Reds and Indians both have the night off. Uh, so neither one of them are playing, but when you look at what the Reds have done over this past week, they were 4-3. and three. They're in fourth place, six and a half games behind St. Louis. They're 12-13 and 13 on the season, so the record is somewhat respectable. But the way the Cardinals have been playing, Mark, I'll tell you what, they just look like they may be the best team in baseball. Yeah, and they just keep on going, and they lost their starting pitcher, uh, Wainwright uh, for the year, just like uh, the Reds did with Homer Bailey. Uh, but the Cardinals have the kind of organization that they have backfill. They have guys they can put in those positions. They produce. They're always ready to produce. It's a great organization, and unfortunately, the Reds have not been able to, to learn enough about them, even though Bob Castellini and, and uh, Walt Jockety came from the St. Louis organization. I don't know what the difference is, but there clearly is a difference. Well, the difference is is that Walt Jockety, the Cardinals smartened up and got rid of him before he ran that organization right down into the dumper, Mark. They got rid of him, and they, they finally decided to build up from the farm system on up, and the Reds have not been that smart enough yet to get rid of Jockety. Yeah, and I'm always, as you know, I've been hesitant to, to jump on Walt Jockety because you want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And the other thing is you don't know what restraints – are being placed on the general manager. You don't know what ownership is saying or, the, or their board is saying in terms of a profit they take because the, comp- the, the, the team is profitable, but it is a business. I know how businesses work, but there is a distribution at the end of the year of, prop- of profits. It may not go to Castellini. He said he's not making money out of this, and I believe him, but that's not the only distribution. You have stockholders who do want to be paid, and there is a decision that has to be made every year. How much money do we distribute to investors? And how much do we invest in this team? And to play in the major leagues right now, to be, be a competitive team, you have to have a, a budget between 150 to $200 million to, to be consistent. Now, can you win with a lesser budget, something in the $100 million range? Yeah, you, you can win. You can win divisions. Uh, it, it's it, hard-pressed to remember a team that has won the World Series recently that didn't have a budget bigger than that. But Kansas City last year made it to the World Series, just you know didn't pull it off. So the world has changed, and you have to be so accurate in your prognostication of the talent of a player because if you if you miss it, like the Reds have missed with so many of their players, uh, this is what happens. The Reds, unfortunately, and he's one of my favorite players, Jay Bruce right now is at a point that his career is in jeopardy. It's no longer he had a bad year. He had a bad second half of 2013. He had a horrible 2014. And the first six weeks or five weeks of 2015 are even worse. So at what point does that become a trend? And then it becomes a huge, huge problem for this organization. Well, I want to get to, I want to get to Jay Bruce here in a second, Mark. But the thing about it is, is that just to take your your example even further, I go back to one of the most outs most I guess you could say shy owners, an owner that went under the radar in uh, Dick Jacobs when he owned the Cleveland Indians back in the '90s. It was very well known. He was the only owner that actually 
was under the radar, but it was very well known, and a lot of owners don't even come out and say this, but Jacobs told John Hart that he could do whatever he wanted to with the roster. The only thing Jacobs required was an 8% return on the investment he had made in the Indians every year. In other words, right off the top, he made 8%. After that, John Hart could do whatever he wanted to with that organization as long as Jacobs got the first 8%. Everybody respected that. They knew where Jacobs was going, and it allowed John Hart the freedom to do whatever it is that he wanted. And that's exactly what you're saying as far as the Reds are concerned. Castellini says he's not making any money, but the shareholders may say, yeah, we want X amount of dollars. Well, the Indians were transparent with their fans. The fans loved it to the tune of 455 consecutive sellouts. They knew exactly what was going on, whereas the Reds, nobody seems to know where they're coming from as far as what Walt Jockety is doing and what Castellini is doing, and thus, curiosity reigns, just where are the Reds' front office coming from as far as what this team has got to do? And it also leads to the decision the Reds have to make that you and I have been talking about this for over a year. Uh, you, you've got Rolas Chapman and you've got Johnny Cueto, who are huge trade targets. Uh, I mean, they, they could bring back a king's ransom in, in players. And when do you make that call? The Reds right now are a 500 team. They're in a division that's very, very competitive. I doubt a, a wild card team is going to come from the National League Central. I don't know where it's going to come, but I think they're going to beat each other up. And, have, and play 500 ball while the Cardinals are going to be, you know, they're going to win it by 10 or 12 games. So if that's the case, and you're Walt Jockety, when do you say, okay, 2015 and 2016, and maybe 2017, uh, is a wash? And we, we have to look forward to, you know, down the road, we got to get rid of Cueto. It doesn't make any sense to keep Chapman, because what are you going to do? You're going to have a, a closer like him? closing 20 games a year because that's all the team is going to be in a position to close and win or, and you get rid of Jay Bruce and maybe you get rid of Joey Votto. Maybe you wipe the slate clean and you start over. That decision has to be made with this team. And I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting any of that. I'm saying that has to be in the discussion. Oh, it has to be. They had already to discuss that probably in the off season as to, what this season could bring. As far as the Indians were concerned, and, and I'll get back to the Reds here in a second with you, Mark, but the Indians right now are 9-15 and 15 on the season. They're six games under five hundred. but this is the first week, Mark, that we've done a show in which the Indians are actually not in last place in the Central Division. They're seven games behind Detroit, but they are out of last place, they are in fourth place in the division now, and they were three and four on the week. And it seems like, Mark, when Terry Francona made the decision to move Michael Bourne out of the lead-up spot, drop him down to number nine, and put Jason Kipnis in the lead-up position. Kipnis, in the last five games, has batted 344. He's got four home runs on the year, three of them coming in the last week. He's driven home seven runs in the last week. He seems to take to that leadoff position fairly well, and the Indians have scored runs. But, on the other hand, while they are now scoring runs, their pitching staff is giving up runs at an alarming rate. Corey Kluber is not pitching like he was a year ago. Trevor Bauer has had some problems with illness and now control problems. 
Carlos Carrasco's having a tough time coming back from being hit in the face with a line drive, and they still have not been able to find a very consistent number four and number five pitcher, and now T.J. House is on the disabled list with a sore left shoulder. So things just continue to snowball as far as the Indians are concerned, Mark. And where they go from here, I just don't know. Well, you know, David, uh, you and I have been talking about the fact that the first time in five years we're in a situation where both teams are down. And I came up with a new way to, to measure that, and it's called the RSI. And I bet you're wondering, what does RSI mean, Mark? Aren't you? I'm curious, and it almost scares me to ask. It's called the Relative Suckage Index. (laughs) I knew I was afraid to ask. And I think right now, as bad as the Reds are, and by the way, this is a a 1 to 100 scale, so it's got a wide range of, of suckage availability. But if you look at at 50% being a 500 team, the Reds have an index right now. Their their suckage index is probably in in the high 40s because they're one game under 500. Uh, A a, a non-suckage percentage would be 100%. So I would say the Indians' suckage index is probably in the 20s or 30s unless you beg to differ. I don't don't beg to differ at all. My question is on this RSI, Mark, is – does it gauge the possibility of each team moving up? Oh, of course. I think we have to look at this on a weekly basis. And I think the Reds right now are a solid 45. Uh, does it mean they're going to play over 500 ball? No. It just says right now they're a team that is in the lower half of, of suckage. And that is a team that is not going to win. Uh, it's not going to play 500. Uh, if they continue to go as they're going, they're not going to have many guys be even nominated for the All-Star team. And the fans are going to buy, I'd say, late July after the All-Star break. You're not going to see them anymore. They're going to start concentrating on the Bengals, and the Reds are going to lose a lot of money this year, which is going to lead to poor contracts next year, no new players. And what you and I have been proposing or speculating or fearing for the last couple of years, unfortunately, is looking like we were accurate, and I don't want to be accurate. I want to be wrong. I, I want to say what I'm seeing as an amateur baseball analyst uh, is wrong. But how can you turn your back on the fact that so many of their star players are simply underperforming? Even though the Indians, I think, are right now, obviously not playing even as well as the Reds, I think the Indians have more talent. And unless I'm missing something, the Reds have greatly, grossly overestimated the upside on some of their players, and that's that's very scary. Well, the problem with the Indians has been, Mark, and I want to ask you this question. As a manager, as Terry Francona, when he brings in a relief pitcher, and you know watching Francona manage the, the Red Sox over the years and now the Indians over the last three or four years, Mark, you know that he just loves to use his bullpen. He loves the matchups. He loves the strategy that goes with it. But when you are playing Russian roulette every time you bring in a relief pitcher, what do you do as a manager when the guys that you've normally brought in are able to succeed and now you don't know from one game or the next what they're going to do? You know, I read an article over the weekend about that and the inability of most organizations to accurately predict what a relief pitcher can do from year to year. 
And I, I think what may be the case, you, you can have a guy with the same stuff, a guy who, who has the same control, the same everything, and yet one year he's unhittable, and the next year he's, he's smashed around like a, a, you know, a tied-up goat. And I, I think the, the biggest thing that may be the cause of that is... Wait a minute, Mark. How many times have you beat on a tied-up goat? Uh, well, not many. Okay. <laughs> I, I, okay. I, I admit I've not done that often. I just uh, got this picture of the ASPCA just knocking at your door. Well, I, I'm being euphemistic, David. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> Making sure here. I like goats, actually. They're some of my favorite people. <laughs> but but the familiarity of some of these relief pitchers, when you're out on the mound you know, 40, 50, 60 times a year, guys are going to see you time and time and time again. And I don't care how good you are, maybe, maybe you're going to – get the best of them for a year or two or maybe a little longer, eventually they're going to start nailing you because they see you so often. Unlike a starting pitcher where, you know, the Cardinals may see, see Johnny Cueto three times a year. So he's not going to face those guys enough times that he is going to be a familiarity to them, whereby they might see Chapman 10 or 12 times a year, depending on who they're playing. So right. that, that's a big difference, and I think that leads to these bullpens. One year they're up, and you know, then they're down. And it, it doesn't really matter what the team is. You look around the, the league, the Indians and the Reds and other bullpens have just been getting hammered this year, and the starting pitching across the league has been pretty good, but not the bullpens. Well, for example, on the Indian side, I want to bring up two relievers just to make a case in point. First of all, Cody Allen. Cody Allen last year was the, the tribe's closer, and he was very, very consistent taking over that role. This year, he has been able, unable to get his curveball across the plate. He continues to bounce it in front of the plate, which means that he's got to rely on his fastball, and hitters know that, and they're able to just sit back and key on that fastball. On the other hand, you've got Brian Shaw who led the American League in appearances last year. His fastball last year was popping in at about 95 miles an hour. This year, for some reason, he's dropped three miles an hour on the average from his fastball, and he's throwing only 92. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but to major league hitters, that three miles an hour is the difference between swinging and missing and getting a base hit up the middle. Oh, that's that's big, and not only is it big in terms of the the velocity that, that a hitter has to work with and, and has to deal with, but it's the movement too. And sometimes when a guy overthrows a ball, it straightens out. And if you don't have your good fastball, your natural inclination is, okay, I will throw it harder. And when you throw it harder, it tends to straighten out. And I don't care how hard you're throwing, uh, you throw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball down the middle of the plate with no movement, these guys are going to rip it. And that's Absolutely. what they do. That's what they do. Uh, movement and, and having an off-speed pitch is just absolutely vital to some of these pitchers. And, I, you know, I don't know if it's an IQ test or not, but they like, like Tony Singrani. Uh, Tony Singrani would be in the starting rotation, probably a number two starter or three starter with the Reds right now if he had developed off-speed stuff. And he hasn't done it. So he goes out there and throws 100 fastballs in five innings. And in about the fourth inning, these guys start teeing off. And it doesn't matter how hard you throw. Some of these guys are just bullheaded, and I don't know why, but they, they have a tendency not to listen. 
You know, I want to go back to the Reds right now, Mark, and that Homer Bailey situation. <clears throat> you know, they brought up Michael Lorenzen, and I thought Lorenzen threw pretty good in his start on Wednesday when they brought him up. What was your feeling about the righty? Well, pretty much what I just said, and it's not surprising that a rookie would come up and say, well, gosh, the guy just nailed my fastball. I better throw harder. I think what didn't Braun hit the first home run off him, first two home runs Braun hit that day. But uh, I saw Lorenzen, he, he was shaken. And rather than get his develop his, his breaking ball early on, uh, work with that slider, work with the curveball, work with the cutter uh, to get them off, you know, off stride, he threw the fastball early, and when they hit it, he tried to throw it harder, and that's what I'm talking about. And that's that's a that's a rookie mistake. Let's put it that way. Uh, a lot of times, you'll see an experienced pitcher. He'll come in and start with his breaking ball. You know, first or second pitch, he'll throw a slider or a curve just to get the hitter off balance. And if and if they don't hit it, he'll keep throwing it because he he wants them to wonder when that fastball is. And then you, you start spotting the fastball. Maybe you spot it off the plate. If you got your breaking ball going, you can do that because the guys will tip. They take more breaking balls than they do fastballs. So if you can control it and get it over the plate, you have a chance for a lot of called strikes. But if you don't get it over the plate, you come back to that fastball and they're sitting on it. And that's what young pitchers have a problem with. And even I think experienced pitchers will tell you. If they don't have their breaking ball going, uh, they're going to have a rough night. Well, and I thought Lorenzen's problem on Wednesday when I watched him pitch was uh, uh, he's got the stuff. You can't teach stuff. You've got to have it. You can help them spot the baseball. You can help them with pitch selection. You can help them with things like that. But I thought Lorenzen showed that he's got the stuff to be a major league starter. Yeah, and I think he's got the stuff to be a major league closer. And uh, he, he's a big, strong, raw-boned kid. And uh, he, people forget he, he was in college, so he, he's, he's a man. He can throw hard. And he may be better suited for, you know, seventh, eighth-inning work than even the starting rotation, at least for the first couple of years. Don't forget that's how Adam Wainwright started with the Cardinals. He was in the bullpen. And I, I see a lot of – I mean, Lorenzen's going to fill out. He's, he's going to be a big guy. And he's going to be throwing even harder in two or three years. So I think the Reds, they may start him now because they need to. But I wouldn't surprise me. They, they see him as a, uh, as a bullpen guy. You know, I want to go back to the trade that the Reds made with the Tigers and Alfredo Simon. Do you think they are looking at that now? Obviously, maybe the front office isn't. But do you think fans are looking back at that now and saying, gosh, what, what could we be doing now with an Alfredo Simon in this rotation? Well, Alfredo Simon is pitching well for Detroit, but he's pitching for Detroit. So you don't have to be a great pitcher to pitch well for Detroit. They've got good defense. They've got good offense. They've got a good bullpen. Uh, they got you covered. So I don't know that Alfredo Simon would have been the answer this year. Certainly they could have used him, and presumably he would have regained some of the magic he had in the first half last year. Uh, I don't think that trade uh, hurt the Reds. You know, not having Simon, I don't think he would have brought a lot to the equation at this point. Uh, so I, I didn't have a problem with that trade. And Di Scalfani, uh, he certainly has stepped in, and except for his last outing, has pitched very well. So I think he's been awash with Simon. So I, I don't see that Simon uh, as that valuable commodity to the Reds 
Well, the only reason I ask that is because they really got nothing in return for him. <clears throat> well, not yet. Not yet. The kid they got uh, is, was hurt, and he's ha- actually hasn't been assigned to a minor league team yet. Uh, I forget the guy's name now. That's uh, how popular he is. But apparently, he does throw hard when he's healthy, and they think they got a pretty good deal with that with that trade. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But how about uh, if you were the Florida Marlins, the Miami Marlins, and Matt Latos? Uh, I mean, his numbers are not very good, and I wonder if they're regretting that trade with uh, with the Reds. He's a guy, Mark, like Jay Bruce, and that brings us back to Jay Bruce and where I wanted to ask you about about him tonight. Matt Latos now has been with three teams over the last four seasons, uh, this being his third team. He's a guy that could fall off the Major League Baseball bandwagon very, very quickly. Same as I'm thinking about Jay Bruce. I I made a comment to our producer, Greg Mitchell, the other day that if Jay Bruce ever gets released or traded by the Reds, his Major League career could be over. Yeah, this is is a a real head-scratcher in terms of Jay Bruce. Uh, He reminds me of Austin Kearns um, more than anybody else. I was going to say Adam Dunn, but Adam Dunn was very, very productive wasn't a high average guy, but the guy hit over forty home runs for four or five years in a row. Oh, he was yeah, he was great, a great power hitter. Great power hitter, and he knew his role, and and you could work around his role. He wasn't good in defense, but but Jay Bruce w- w- came up as the guy. I mean, this is going to be the next superstar for the Reds, and he has never produced at a level that I think people expected. Now he he's hit over thirty home runs a couple times. He drove in a ho- over 100 runs, I think, twice, certainly once. He's had 80, 90 RBIs, which are good numbers. But he's also ha- has a career batting average under 250. And for the last two and a half years, his his batting average collectively over the last three years is 211. And that doesn't look like it's going to get any better. When I see him play, and I've seen him play several hundred times, I've seen several thousand at-bats by Jay Bruce, and I have never seen anybody either incapable of making a physical change in his setup or the guy isn't bright enough to look at film and say, geez, they're coming in on, with a slider. They go fastball away, slider in, and they strike him out two times a game. Mm-hmm. Every damn game. At what point do you say, gee, maybe I better make an adjustment? How about moving up six or eight inches in, in the in the batter's box to get that slider before it breaks? How about moving back? How about changing your stance? How about shortening your swing? He's got this loopy long swing that if you look at the difference between Jay Bruce and Joey Votto, Joey Votto's swing is like a karate chop. It's on the shoulder, bang to the ball immediately. Jay Bruce has to gather. He has a long loopy swing. So anything on the inner third, even the inner half, that's breaking into his hands, he has no chance to hit. Right. He swings over it. And Dave, he misses the ball by six, eight, ten inches sometimes. And this is a major league player. And I love Jay Bruce as a player. I, I, I was his biggest fan when he was coming up. But it's so frightening to see, or not frightening, it's, it's frustrating to see, a guy who simply will not make adjustments, and that's you know, and I and I've seen that mark. And the thing about that I've noticed about Jay Bruce, and I know the Reds have had to notice this. Anybody that knows anything about baseball, 
has to have noticed this. He is, there are two types of hitters. There's a top-hand hitter, and there's a bottom-hand hitter. A top-hand hitter is what you just mentioned about Joey Votto. The bottom-hand hitter are the guys with long, loopy swings, and that's what Bruce is. He is a bottom-hand hitter, and he has never been able, the, the great ones, the great ones, Mark, that are bottom-hand hitters, work in coordination with their top hand, and that's how they become great power hitters. The guys who never make it are the guys that continually swing the bat with their bottom hand. Well, not only that, but there are what I call body hitters and hand and arm hitters. The body hitters are the guys who have big swings, and they, they, they twist their torso around the ball, and it's such an easy way for a pitcher to miss a bat when a guy does that. Now, the guys like Votto and Pete Rose and other Hank Aaron, these guys were quick to the ball with their bat, and the great hitters are that way. And I don't know if it's because these guys are making so much money that coaches are afraid to redo their swing, but it just amazes me that some of these hitters will strike out their way out of baseball because they refuse to make contact. And there, there are times when a guy as strong as Jay Bruce, he should go up there and swing from the butt, as they say, and, and try to crank the ball 450 feet. But that's, you don't, you don't do that every time up. You go to the opposite field, you, you, you drop a bunt occasionally, uh, you, you try to hit the ball up the middle, but he tries to yank everything. And when he makes contact, great. It's, 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 it's a wonderful thing. But he's had five home runs this year. Now, that, that's not bad, but he's hitting 170. Well, can't you see a relationship there, Jay? I mean, can't you understand that what you're doing this year, what you did last year, what you did the year before, it's not working? And, and on the bright side, Mark, as far as the Reds are concerned, and the dark side as far as the Indians are concerned, is the shortstop position. Zach Cozart for the Reds has got to be a bright spot because evidently he has taken what the coaches have told him to heart because he's hitting the baseball with a lot of consistency this year. Yeah, and he doesn't have to be a great hitter to be a valuable player. And Jay Bruce does. He is The Cincinnati Reds outfield is hitting 170, 170 or 178, I think. As a team, their outfield, 178, that's where all your good hitters are supposed to go. And, you know, we're, we're cutting uh, Hamilton a break because it's, he's only his second year. But, Dave, I'm telling you, this guy right now, he's not even close to a major league hitter. Not even close. So how far do you go with that? See, my, my thing is, Mark, you and I disagree on Hamilton because, you know, when you're looking at your outfield hitting 170, I get that. But when you've got Bruce that's hitting 190 and Bird who's hitting 140, then Hamilton's hitting somewhere in the area of around 250, and, and that's bringing that average up to where it is that you said. I, I'm not as upset about Hamilton because I'd like to know what his on-base percentage is. I, I know he's walking a lot more this year than he has last year. Well, first of all, his batting average is 200, not 250, and his on-base percentage is about 240. So you cannot steal first base. He has no power. He, he refuses to lay bunts down. And he doesn't go to the opposite field. He tries to pull things. And when he pulls, he pops the ball up. Uh, it, it just, again, there's, there's no, 
there's no step up in performance or uh, I, I, well, I guess performance is the word from, from last year. Don't forget, he had a very good first half of the year. His second half, he hit around 210, 212 for the year, for the second half of the year. He's at the same position now. So for almost an entire year, he is hitting at a batting average around 200, 210. And it's, it's more than the average, David. When I see him play, if you've got a good fastball, and you, you throw him a breaking ball in the inner half, he, he won't he won't hit you. He will not. And he chases bad balls, and he's just not a major league hitter. And my point in bringing this up is, if you're going to have an outfield that's going to hit 200 or less, you're you're not even going to get out of, uh, of the la- last place of your division. When do you make changes? How far do you go with the Jay Brewers? I'm surprised, Mark, that they haven't done something with Bird as of yet. Where, you know, when they play Bosch, Bosch seems to hit the ball, but they don't put him into the lineup consistently, and I can't understand why. I don't either. I don't understand why, and I, I wonder how long do you go with these guys? And this lefty lefty thing, I know that's what they're going to throw up if anybody asks them, you know, hey, we'd have too many left handers in the lineup. Well, so what? If the guy's hitting lefties and righties playing. Yeah, and so much of this stuff is is major league protocol. Well, this guy's been around for a while, so it would embarrass him if we bench him. Like the closers role. Exactly. Let's keep running him out there. How about J.J. Hoover last year? Let's just keep – we don't want to embarrass him, or we don't want to break his spirit. Okay, let him go out and lose 10 games out of the damn bullpen. That's a good idea. Let's do that again. Yeah, it's like Nick Hagedon with the Indians. You never know what this guy's gonna, what he's gonna do when he comes out. If he comes out and he throws the first pitch over for a strike, you know he's probably gonna be pretty good. But chances of him coming within the same area code of the home plate sometimes is slim and none. Well, it, again, you and I are not professional baseball guys other than we are professional watchers. And I, I always try to give the benefit of the doubt to the guys who do this for a living. But at some point, the numbers don't lie. You can have you can have a difference of opinion with a manager on what he should do with a bullpen or with a with a player or two players or whatever, and he wins because of his reputation, because he's been around longer than us, he's getting paid to do this. But at some point, like you've mentioned with Walt Jockety, it, the numbers are the numbers. If you don't right. if you don't win consistently. If you lose consistently as a pitcher, if you're if you're hitting 200 as a hitter for two or three years, somebody has made a mistake, and then you have to move on with it. You cannot. You do. You, you can't keep running these guys back out there. And, and see, that's the thing, Mark. That I I wanted to bring up the dark side for the Indians as far as the shortstop position is concerned. Jose Ramirez yesterday made my case as far as the range that he does not have to play shortstop. That Toronto had the bases loaded, even though the Indians won the game. Toronto had the bases loaded in the fifth inning. I believe it was the fifth inning. And Ramirez was playing, shading over towards second base. One of the batters for Toronto, I believe it was Donaldson, hit a ball to the regular shortstop position, just two steps to the right of Ramirez. It should have been an easy play for him to slide over. Mark, he he doesn't have the range to get over there. He he doesn't have the range to go two or three steps to his right to get an easy ground ball. 
and Toronto ended up scoring two runs in the inning, and it led to Trevor Bauer being taken out of the ball game. Okay, fine. But there are some rumblings now around Cleveland, little as they may be. There are some rumblings that, where is Lindor? When is this kid going to come up? There are rumblings among the pitching staff now, Mark, rumors that are coming out of there that we need solid defense. Yesterday, the Indians played terrible defense. You know, there's one thing about making errors, Mark, defensively, legitimate errors. There are other things, when, like the Indians did yesterday, that don't get marked down as errors, but are errors as far as defensively is concerned. For example, ground ball gets hit, runners at first and third to Santana at first. He gets the runner caught between third and home, and he did what he was supposed to do. He runs straight at the guy. But instead of flipping it to third when the guy decides to go back to third base, he thinks he can tag him out himself without a throw, and he gets back in with a head first dive. And then right after that with the bases loaded, a high chop is hit just to the back of the mound. Bauer goes back, grabs it, looks like he's going to throw home to try to get the force at home, can't get him at home, turns and flips to first too late, Toronto gets another run, and the guy is safe at first base. So those are errors that you cannot mark down as errors in the scorebook, but they're mental errors on the field that lead to more and more runs. And you just cannot expect, Mark, your pitching staff to continue to pitch through these things. Now, and that's what you know divides a team, I think, more than anything, when you have everybody, as you said, can make a physical error, and it happens all the time. Uh, but it's the mental errors. The things are just guys make stupid plays. Right. And that's what really ticks off the teammates is a guy either not concentrating or, uh, you know, thinking about his girlfriend watching the ball game in left field and a ball goes over his head or whatever he's doing. Uh, players know when a guy screws up that way as opposed to making a physical error. The Reds, on the other hand, have a good defensive team. And when you look at, you know, you look at the overall numbers for the Reds, their defense is very good. I think they're number two in home runs in the league. Uh, 43% of their runs scored come from the home run. Uh, their starting pitching has been reasonably good. Uh, their closer has been reasonably, not reasonably, but very good, un- unhittable, basically. So what are you hearing here, Dave? Wouldn't it seem obvious that the problems the Reds have are a lack of contact hitters and middle relief? That, does that seem reasonable? That seems reasonable. Yes. Weren't we saying this over the two winter, years ago? Over the over this past winter, last year, and the year before, weren't we? Yes. Weren't we saying that? Yes. Now, what, and so was everybody else. So was everybody else. Yeah, we're not we're not inventing new stuff here. The only people that didn't see it were the Reds front office. Bingo. And why can we see it? Why can scouts see it? Why can other general managers see it? Guys on TV can see it. Guys on radio can see it. But they can't see it. Because they're afraid to be proven wrong. Well, um, that doesn't sound real bright to me for them. I don't know about you. It doesn't. You're right. But Jockety has had this track record when he was with St. Louis, too. He had them going off the deep end. And the cardinal, the cardinal management and ownership decided enough is enough. We're not going anywhere. They got rid of him, and now look at their organization. Mark, that's one of the best in baseball. Yeah, and it has been for a while. And, you know, you look at what Jockety's done with the Reds. 
it, it, obviously they haven't won the world championships, but you look at the team, the talent this team seemed to have, and that's that's the, to me the, the the worst part of all this. They have misjudged talent, and you can have a big budget or you can have a small budget, but look what Kansas City did with the, the amount of money they had to spend. I mean, they they went and had an unbelievable bullpen last year. They they signed a bunch of young kids, and they made it to the World Series. And the Reds just aren't even close to that. I mean, it, it's one thing to say, you know, we're you look at the Indians, okay? The Indians may be if they bring up the the right say say they bring up Lindor, there may be with that with that roster there may be a player away from really making a run in the Central. They, they may not catch Detroit, but they can, they can get a wild card. And they made a move today, and I'll get into it here in a second. They made a move today, Mark, okay, well, that I, I think is going gonna, is gonna to catapult them. Well, I hope so. I want to hear about this. This is exciting. But that one, they're a team that could be a player away. The Reds are three or four players away. Big difference. Let's hear about this trade. Well, they didn't make a trade. Oh. They're, they're, this team has been dull. They have been boring. They have been dull with no fire whatsoever. Uh, and the thing that they've been missing, I know that, that they've had that haven't had that they did have the last two years is the rah rah guy on the bench, the guy that wants to be in Ohio, the guy that wants to be in Cleveland. He hasn't done it on the field, but he has been that presence in the dugout. They announced earlier today Nick Swisher will be back with the team tomorrow. The guy has hit well in the minor leagues. He's bat 375 over the past two weeks. His knees appear to be good. I don't think he's going to play in the field. I think he's going to be the everyday DH. They're probably going to round him in at first base and right field, like I said last year, and rotate uh, uh, Brandon Moss and Carlos Santana. But I think where it's going to make a difference with him, Mark, is his attitude on the bench. I think that that guy, that guy's a lightning rod. He can he can get some fire underneath this team, and that's what they need. Well, if fire is what you think that team needs, then you might be right. Uh, I don't think fire is going to be enough, and I have never been a fan of Nick Swisher. I, I've told you that several times. I thought he was way overpaid. Uh, I thought he was overrated, at least statistically. I don't think he was very good on defense, but you might be right. This could be the missing link uh, from a, I guess, an emotional perspective for the Indians, and maybe that is indeed what they need. But I don't think that, that Nick Swisher is going to be the answer to your statistical issues. And, again, if the Indians are a player away, uh, it would be an interesting question for you, Dave. You had to make one move. All you, all you can do is make one move. And I'm not going to get into a specific player, but would you add to your offense or would you add to your pitching? My, my one move for the Indians is plain and simple. I've been saying it since training camp. I've been saying it. I've said it last week, and I've said it again this week. My one move is Francisco Lindor at shortstop. Period. End of story. Well, that's where we disagree. We disagreed before the season began, and we disagreed last year. I don't think a shortstop coming up, who's probably going to hit 240, 250 his first year, uh, is going to be the change that the Indians need. Now, Mark, you've been telling me for two years you would kill for Cozart to hit 240 or 250. Yeah, but I think it's a different team. And I'm, It's not a different team. It's a team that they need the defensive presence at the shortstop position. Right now they don't have it. Well, I, again, my opinion is that the difference between the shortstop you have now 
and the shortstop that you're going to have in Lindor, both offensively and defensively, is not going to be enough to put you guys over the hump. Now, had you said, I'm going to go out and get a guy like Tulowitzki, okay, you're in the World Series, or you're in the playoffs. Yes, I agree. I don't think a rookie coming up and putting that kind of pressure on him this first year to be the man is realistic. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, it's not realistic that the Indians are going to go out and get Tulowitzki either. I thought you wanted something that they could do that was actually going to be conceivable. Well, they already got him in their in their organization. Right. I'm asking about looking outside the organization for – first of all, my question was, do you want to – Oh, if I, if I could go out and get any play- – I, I, be honest with you, Scott Kazmir. I would go to Oakland and I would get Scott Kazmir again in a second. Okay, so you think that if you guys add, if you had one move to make, you're the GM, you had one move to make, your move would be to add to your starting rotation. Yes. Okay, fair enough. I think that's a, it's a reasonable request, uh, and decision by a general manager. But in that case, I think that addition, the picture you just mentioned, Kazmir, I think he could make a change and a difference in the outcome for the Indians this year. I don't think it's going to be a shortstop hitting 240, 250. And see, I think the difference, a realistic change for the Indians right now would be Lindor at shortstop. That That's my feeling of the situation. Mark, I want to get into a couple items before uh, we get to the end of the show here tonight that have happened around Major League Baseball. You know, this whole situation in Baltimore last week, we brought it up last Monday night. And you know what surprised me? And I thought it was a very simple solution to this that baseball just totally swung and missed on. It's happened before. It may happen again. But in this situation in Baltimore where they canceled the first two games and then on Wednesday played in a Camden Yards that had no fans in it, Mark, why didn't they just switch this series to Chicago? David, come on. That makes too much sense. It's too logical. It did. You you can't be serious, but you know what the, the, the follow up question to that, and I don't know the answer. I'm throwing this out because I, I I saw it on the internet, so it must be true. Um, <laughs> that that the Orioles you normally make two point one million dollars per game. That's their gross gross receipts. That game they made two point three. Now how how does that math work? I don't know. I, I, evidently they're not. And this was a question that a lot of people asked. What about the season ticket holders, Mark? What about those people that they can't make up that game? Yeah, you're right. You're right. And, and you know, are they going to are they going to refund those tickets? Uh, you know, obviously they're not going to refund those tickets to add into that those receipts. But also, you've got the money that they're going to get from whatever television revenue that they get that they're piling on top of that that they split up per game. So that's another thing. I know I tuned in on the Major League Baseball package just to see what in the world it was going to be like, and I thought it was funny because they said that some of these guys said when they stepped to home plate they could hear Gary Thorne, the play-by-play announcer for the Orioles, doing the game on TV. They could hear him doing play-by-play all the way down at home plate. Well, again, it's interesting when you – I was talking to some guys over the weekend about that, about how they made more money, and it could have been – that they had a deal with radio and TV that their income was based on the audience. So it would make sense you'd have more people watching on TV or even listening just to, you know, as you did, just to hear the game. And, and maybe that's, you know, that raised their, their income level. But it was kind of interesting that they made less money 
when they had a full stadium than uh, an empty stadium. The other situation that I wanted to bring up, Mark, that I thought, boy, and you and I are going to disagree on this. We are. I just know going into it. A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez hits his 660th home run of his career, ties Willie Mays, and immediately the story is, A, the fan that caught the ball is not giving it back. Why is he not giving it back? Because he doesn't think that that ball is worthy of A-Rod actually getting it. Secondly, the Yankees, this has been rumored and rumored for the past year and a half that when he hits that home run, he was supposed to get a bonus in his contract. And the Yankees have been rumored to say that they are not going to pay him that bonus, and yesterday they made it official. They are not going to pay him the bonus for that home run. Now, this question is twofold. Is that a legitimate 660th home run? And secondly, should the Yankees pay that bonus? Did the ball go over the fence? <laughs> I knew this. Here we go. <laughs> David, did the ball go over the fence? It went over the fence, okay. Mark. Yes, that is the only thing that we're going to agree upon. Okay, it's a freaking home run. <laughs> and th- this stuff, this holier-than-thou crap with regard to the hitters, and I talked to the guys over the weekend, guys who have been playing ball for a, even longer than me, and every one of those hitters – probably faced pitchers who were on the same stuff. And just because writers can't prove it or fans can't prove it, they're they're deemed innocent. While some guys who have been accused but ne- it's never been proven are proved guilty. Th- this is nonsense. The, the stuff that people believe came out of a, uh, a can or a jar or a bottle or a vial or whatever, yeah, it could help with injuries. It can do a lot of stuff. It doesn't make you make contact with a ball. You've still got to hit it. And I, I just don't understand how people get so revved up and holier than thou on this stuff. I, you and I have disagreed about this kind of thing. And it's not just A-Rod. The thing I didn't like about A-Rod wasn't the fact that he's accused of taking steroids. It's what he did to the, some of the guys that were around him, like the, the FedEx carrier and all that stuff. I think that was A-Rod. Yeah, I was A-Rod. Yeah, and that I, I do take umbrage to, and I think he needs to be slapped around for that. But so many guys took this stuff that never got caught, and we'll never know. I mean, Jeff Bagwell is an example. People say down in Houston that he, he was on the juice for a long time, and he was never accused. Now, is there a suspicion of it? Yeah, but he'll go to the Hall of Fame with his numbers because they can't prove it, or no, nobody's accused him. Doesn't mean he didn't take it. Didn't mean he did. That's the point. You can't prove it. So I, I have a different take on this. and yeah, You definitely do. And I, and I always will. I have absolutely no doubt that the Yankees will lose this in court. No doubt. And right now, the Yankees <clears throat> saying, I think the public opinion is split. Yes, the Yankees are right. No, the Yankees are wrong. But you brought up the key ingredient to this whole thing. And where the Yankees could actually turn the public opinion to their side would be if they take that bonus that they're supposed to pay A-Rod and give it to the FedEx guy. Yeah, that would be that would be cool. <laughs> or give it to charity or give it to somebody who's deserving or whatever. 
uh, yeah, I, I think they could come across as real heroes. Right now, I think they're being petty and cheap, and, uh, you know, it doesn't – it's like Pete Rose. How long do you beat these guys up? Forever? Aren't they ever allowed to say, I made a mistake, hey, I screwed up? <clears throat> and, and don't forget, some players did that. They said, hey, I took it. I shouldn't have taken it. Take it. Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit. I shouldn't have taken it. It wasn't illegal when I did, but hey, I messed up. They took it. Andy Pettit took it. Are his statistics being maligned? No. No. Not. No. So that's why I, it's the unevenness of this that really bothers me. Well, do you agree with me that the Yankees have no shot at winning this in court? Oh, no. I, I agree with you 100%. They're, they're, they're going to pay. Yeah. No, no shot whatsoever. Mark, finally, before we get to what you were involved in over the weekend, the Milwaukee Brewers. Boy, what what a situation they've got going in Milwaukee. They were expected to contend for a playoff spot. Both you and I thought they were going to contend for a playoff spot, and they have just gone right down the dumper this year. They've got a major league worst record, 7-18 and 18 on the year, and they finally, yesterday, pulled the plug on Ron Renneke, their manager. Mark, under him... They had lost 40 of their last 56 games under Renneke. Where did he go wrong so quickly? I don't know, but you remember, was it in August of last year, August 12th or whatever, they're in first place? <laughs> they, that number you mentioned is unbelievable. I, I cannot remember a team having that kind of winning percentage over such an extended period of time. Me either. I, mean, I, I just don't remember. It sounds like a little league team that had a you know a bad two or three years. Uh, it, it's really unfathomable, and they've got some talent on that team. So I, I don't think they're dead in terms of causing trouble this year. But Renicky, I don't know what was in the water that happened to him, but golly, it, it really fell apart. And I hate to see that. He's a good guy. And they they hired as his replacement Craig Council, whom I absolutely hate. Don't like the guy. I despise him. And do you know why? What did he do to the Indians? He scored the winning run against the Indians in the 97 World Series in Game 7. Don't like the guy. Can't stand him. It's his, he, this will be his first job, Mark, and it appears that the only reason he's getting this job is he's a Milwaukee resident. And the first guy that popped into my head, Mark, to get this job was Ron Gardenhire the former Twins manager. He could have just moved to the next state over and taken over a good Brewers team. Why is it Council that's getting this job and not Ron Gardenhire? Well, first of all, this season is over. So why not give a young guy who you think might be a good manager someday, give him the benefit of an entire, almost an entire year uh, at the major league level, let him screw up. How much worse can he do? The team's not going to make the playoffs for sure. They're not going to have a winning record. So write this season off and give Council a chance to learn his team uh, I didn't see the details of the contract. They signed him to a two- or three-year deal. Uh, let this year be his AAA year, but at the major league level. So I think that was probably part of their thought process. But I was thinking, what about Robin Yount? Wouldn't he have been a guy that he could have come in and at least for a year kind of stemmed the tide and, and gotten the fans and the, and the team but, you know, back into a positive mindset? I don't know. It seemed like that was a, a logical move. 
I would have loved if they had hired Rick Manning. It would have got him out of the Sports Time Ohio booth, and maybe they could have hired somebody that actually made some sense on the TV <laughs> network. Mark, a couple of house cleaning items before we end tonight's show. First of all, our Ultimate Sports Talk show is coming back on Thursday night. I'll be back on the air. My weekly rant is what I like to call it. That'll be on at 7 o'clock here on Ultimate Sports Talk. And we've got more baseball, high school baseball, coming up for you over the next few days. Tomorrow we'll be on the air with another baseball game, Waynedale at Chippewa, and that will be at 4.30 in the afternoon. But, Mark, uh, this past weekend was probably a big weekend for you as far as the last at-bat movie in the hunt for Dylan Michael. Tell us about what happened this past weekend. It was cool. <laughs> <laughs> We had a lot of fun in Dayton, Ohio, at the Action Sports Center, uh, and we had about 60 uh, young men and women try out for roles in our film Last at Bat. Uh, they came there, many with their parents, and it was really a fun outing over the two days. We got to meet a lot of great young men and women who love the game, and, and, and thankfully they, they love the book and want to be part of what we're doing. And uh, we, we thank them and their parents for being part of what we're trying to accomplish here and, and making our film the way we want to make it. So I think everybody involved, it was just a great experience. And the, the, the problem, Dave, is that we have to make now decisions about what young men and women we want and what, unfortunately, some we can't use. And when you like a lot of them, that makes it even tougher when they have some good talent, both on the field and behind the camera, in front of the camera. Well, where are some of the other cities that you're going to be involved in, Mark, that you've got on the agenda right now? We're going to be in Chicago for Memorial Day weekend coming up at the end of May. I don't have my calendar in front of me here on the dates, but we'll be in Chicago that weekend of Memorial Day. And then we're going to be in Cincinnati uh, June 10th and 11th. We signed a deal down there to uh, to work at Champion Sports Center. And actually, in Chicago, we're going to be there the 23rd and 24th in Chicago. And then in June, June 10th and 11th, we'll be in Cincinnati, and we'll be doing something in Cleveland, your backyard, David, uh, probably sometime in late June. So we hope to see a lot of Indian fans up there who may want to be in a movie and play a little baseball. Should be should be a lot of fun. I mean, what age ranges are you looking for, Mark? We're looking for 8 to 12, 13 to 15, and then 18 or 16 to, say, 20, 22, something like that. So we're looking for three young men who can play Dylan Michael in the film. Uh, one criteria, the big criteria is you got to be, be a pretty good baseball player. So you got to try out for that. And then we would get everybody a screen test and uh, see how they look uh, and sound in front of a camera. Well, I know the one thing that you just said, you're looking for three young men. I get that. But this is not just open for just boys and men. You're also looking for girls. Yes, and I think we may have found one yesterday, a young lady out of Cincinnati who came up for a tryout. She's a left-handed pitcher. I won't give you her name yet, uh, but you'll be hearing from her. And uh, I, could, I could say with some certainty that uh, we think we have a role for her, but we're looking for other young women who can be teammates or opponents in the film. Dylan, of course, is our, is our lead character, so we're looking for a young man to play that. But uh, I'm telling you, Dave, when you saw this young lady hit, uh, she could hit, and she could throw, and she could run. And uh, I was very impressed, and we can't wait to see her uh, in front of the camera and uh, see what she can do on, on film, but she can do it all on the mound, that's for sure. Yeah, I you know, and if they want more information on this, where do they go, Mark? They go to lastatbatthemovie.com. That's lastatbatthemovie.com. And if you're interested, 
Uh, take a look at our site. You can see get all the information of where we're going to be having our next two or three tryouts, and uh, this is going to be nationwide. So we're looking for uh, Dylan Michael and about a hundred other ball players to be teammates and opponents. Well, it should be a lot of fun. So that's what's going on as far as that's concerned. Mark, tell me about what the Reds have coming up through the rest of this week. Well, they got Pittsburgh coming up and then Chicago. And uh, Pittsburgh had a just a horrendous week in St. Louis with the Cardinals. They lost three straight extra inning walk-off games. And that's a team that uh, you and I both predicted was going to have you know some hard times this year. So the, as you mentioned early in the show, the Cardinals are getting ready to run away and hide. So uh, the Reds better take care of business with Pittsburgh and Chicago because uh, the Cardinals are going to be 10, 12 games ahead at the All-Star break. Absolutely. As far as the Indians are concerned, they, again, are off today. They are going to be at Kansas City tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday afternoon. And then they will be coming back home to face the Minnesota Twins on Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon also. Mark, hopefully both teams can get things righted, and maybe we can talk about a winning week next week. And, Dave, I want you to know I'm going to forgive you about the mistakes you're making on the steroid issue. And I hope we're still friends after all that. I don't know. Uh, you know, you still have Linda Jordan as a friend of yours. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I better say something because I'll get an email. Oh, you will. <laughs> Believe me, and it won't be for me. <laughs> I know. Mark, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, don't forget about our ultimate sports talk show coming up this thursday night the return it'll be at seven o'clock and we've got high school baseball coming up for you the remainder of this week especially tomorrow we'll have a game for you beginning at 4 30 and then friday and then a girls softball doubleheader on saturday all that happening here on ultimate sports and mark and i will be back again next monday night at nine o'clock with another ohio baseball weekly show our thanks to greg mitchell our producer our thanks to mark donahue but most of all our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next time, have a good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. Man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke.